Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about E3 and Overwatch. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? <laughs> folks at home, we like to talk about games on this podcast. As I, I say, I want, to, I want to be as soulful and like loungy with that. You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting in front of a fireplace in like a leather back chair, you know, with some like brandy or something. <laughs> <laughs> we like to talk about games some like jazz in the background man i love this image in my mind now i I need to like recreate that in my life i need to go get a house with a fireplace yeah that's that's how we need to record these episodes is like a fireplace crackling in the background you know i while we sit there in smoking jackets (laughs) yeah smoking jackets yeah i've always kind of fantasized about because you know other podcasts do this where they uh uh, like for our recording, we would stream the recording and then kind of bundle it up and release it afterwards. You know, other people do this in the gaming sphere, right? They'll stream it to Twitch kind of thing, summoning insight, that kind of stuff. Um, and I've always like, you know, I've always kind of like fantasized a little bit about doing that, even though we have like plenty of production issues in the first place that would totally like screw with us. Um, but, you know, I that would be the way if I if we ever did stream onto Twitch, that would be the way to get me to do it. Like that would be the way to get me to sign on and be like, all right, each week we're going to rent out like a studio space. Right. <laughs> but like just wall to wall bookshelves. Right. The the color scheme is going to be black and burgundy. Right. Like. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, this is the um, part of the cast where we usually talk about what happened this week. Um, yeah, what, what did ha- happen this week? We did played, we, play? we played Hell's Rebels. Um, oh, that's true. Oh, we played a very, uh, a, yeah, a very good session of Hell's Rebels. Um, the Morgarmanthi session. Yes, yes. Oh God, that is such a weight off my shoulders. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. I want you to know that, by the way, in the book, it is terrible. Um, they give you – they basically – they do the same thing that I did, right, where they give you Morgar Manthai as the first uh, – uh, you know, as, like, the first guy in the rebellion. Um, he doesn't have, like, the backstory and everything because the, the kind of inner politics isn't of concern. But, they you know, they give it to – they give him to you, and he's kind of, like, the only named person, right? All of your other teams – adding team names and team leaders to all of the other characters, right, is something that I did. So he is literally the only other named Silver Raven besides you and the other council members. So, so it's just like, like, one of these people has betrayed you, Steve, <laughs> Joe, or Morgar Oh, yeah, and then there's this whole thing about, um, there's, uh, there's this, like, whole stupid subplot where, like, you find a piece of paper that has, like, a trickster devil bound to it. And the trickster devil has uh, mind-controlled Morgar Manthine to quote-unquote betray you, but it's actually all a giant prank. It's the biggest anti-climax ever. And I was like, well, we're not doing – yeah, the whole thing – yeah, it's it's like a – yeah, oh, and because you like, and you're supposed. I honestly, I should have done a little bit of better job setting up for this, but I kind of didn't really care all that much. Um, where like, you know, you're supposed to. Oh man, files are missing, right? You know, all that oh, that, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff or whatever. Um, and uh, and then it's like, oh man, does fucking bars light through know about us? Oh no! And then it's nope, fucking Morgar Mantha. I just got mind controlled by like a level three imp. It's just like, kill me now. Um, but. I changed that a lot of it obviously <laughs> obviously um and uh you know i'm recently uh i'm actually not even recently i'm like very happy that's like that's like 98 percent of how i wanted that session to go down um 
Because I always fear that, like, you're not going to hit the hook with that kind of stuff, right? In the sense of, like, you know, the the central dilemma of figuring out whether or not he did it and paying attention to the details and conducting it like that investigation. I feel like it's an easy way. You know, people, people fall out of it uh, pretty easily, but everybody was really on board to try and figure out and uh you know there was there wasn't like jumping to conclusions or any of that stuff it was good it was solid i mean jumping to conclusions was kind of hopefully part of the point right but right um yeah, yeah. so i i thought it was an excellent session the the only thing that kind of like um if if i were to offer any criticism it was that i i, I think you recovered well from this there's this point where like you know we we find the inconsistency and we say, aha, we've got you. And his response is like, no. It's like, well, what? Like, from, from like, a, a player standpoint, there's there's not really much you can push from that point. It's like, well, <laughs> at that point, it's his work against somebody else. It's not like we, like, have, like, incontrovertible evidence of it. We have just, you know, some other dude's word. And I thought you were going to make us, like, kind of, like, go for, like, his word against mine and, like, try and choose it. And then, then you kind of had him break. It's just that, that that was just kind of like the only thing that gave me pause. It was like, well, what are we supposed to do from this point moving yeah, forward? Yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah, fair enough. That is, uh, that is a fair enough moment. Um, yeah, because, I mean, so the first part is obviously figuring it out, right? And if you don't get that evidence, right, if you don't, like, kind of connect those two bits, which is not the, the only way, the only way possible, right? The only inconsistency is that when you interview him directly about um, – uh, about it, it was it came out in a different way than in theory but in theory what was supposed to happen is you find the symbol of Ismodius, right and you talk to him about it and he's like oh this is my grandfather's right and then, and then you know somewhere in that kind of line he says i haven't you know i haven't been to the temple of Ismodius in five years kind of thing right um and then that gets you know and so it's about those two little little you know kind of little details and it didn't come out quite that way but it came out so it's it's kind of not uh, it's not as big of a deal, but then that, you know, that's kind of like the first half. And then the second half is figuring out, okay, well, here is, you know, wh- where he kind of pleads for his own life by being like, listen, you guys, it would be really fucking dumb for you to kill me right now. Kind of thing. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Um, and like. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. As soon as the, the symbol of Asmodeus co- comes out, I'm like, that's like some sort of weird red hair. Like it's going to be like his. Like he, I thought it was like, going to be like his mom's or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're, like, <laughs> like they're, they're, you know, very very tropey. Like there's no way that that he's just like directly like, yeah, I'm a priest of Asmodeus. Didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I when I originally thought of that that like bit. Um, I thought I was just going to, I was just kind of going to do it in like the, listen, people, you know, like it's, it's, it is a normal sure. thing to worship Ismodius. You guys are crazy for not worshiping Ismodius, right? Um, kind of thing. But then I decided that I, I've, I've really had to tussle with kind of the, uh, the, well, like the simulation worldly mechanics of having like the baseline de- it's it's it is the weirdest thing to wrap your head around uh and to get to kind of like put together um yeah yeah i i, I definitely i definitely feel that like um and, and it, it's funny because that, that even came up kind of as a point it's like we like I, you know i i think charles and i were kind of on the same page when this came up it was like 
oh, we've been making Buddy, like, go through this kind of excruciating detail with everything. We weren't sure that that's what you wanted to do, so we didn't want to make you go through that again. Let's talk to some mook about what was happening. Oh, no, yeah, no, the detail, mm, that was that was what that whole thing was about, yeah. was about the excruciating details. Because if you didn't, you know, like, that that was what it was built to punish, right? If you don't pay attention to the details, right, if you don't, if you're not exhaustive, you have to jump to conclusions. You know what I mean? Because, you know, yeah, if you, because early on, right, what's-his-face says, he says we should go through his shit and we should talk to his team, right? right? And that was just kind of it. That's all I mentioned of it. And and it would have been a really easy thing for you guys just to not go talk to his team members and miss that crucial bit of, you know, that crucial bit of information kind of thing. Um, and that and then and then you get into the weird position of, all right, well, do you do you kill him? Do you let him go? Do you wait it out? Do you follow him? Right? All of these different options. The worst of which included uh, uh, Lie Thrones, Mooks raiding the base, and just kind of having to like hope for the fucking best, right? Right. Like, I, I was I was gonna say like, uh, there's there's an option where we don't. We're just like, yeah, he's probably good, and just let him go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's one of those things. It was always in the back of my mind, but I, obviously, it's like sub ten percent that that's actually going to happen. But uh, basically, all I did was I was like, "All right, well, we're just going to have to hope to God." Well, I it, it very likely a lot of NPCs would have died. Maybe even some M some PCs themselves would have died, kind of thing. Um, because I basically took Barzillai's entourage that he has when you fight him later. And I was like, okay, just in case you heard their stat lines, like, up against level four, you know, level four PCs. Level oh. three. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys are level three. Aren't you level four now? Uh, did, did we level? I don't know. You probably should. Well, so, I, this was supposed to be the last session before the final, or like, the big dungeon, but I decided to add one more piece of connective tissue, um, because, uh... uh and, you know, I, there was the plot point right at the end where it's like, oh, by the way, while I was looking in, you know, what's-his-face's mind, I found out that, you know, the Esmodian Redactors found uh, an archivist working at the Arcane University kind of thing. Um, you know, it's the finding, finding uh, the, you know, finding out where the archivists are is, like, the, the big thing. And this is just a player-based lead into that rather than just kind of, like gondor plot convenience out of nowhere oh i've just been scrying for forever and it took me a while but i found out their base kind of thing yeah no I, th that makes sense that makes sense i it also seemed like you know if we were going to go into a dungeon we'd be in danger of like having near near like a 50 percent ratio of combat in sessions that's no good we need, we need to have like as little combat as possible Right. Yeah, I mean that you know that thing is obviously full combat, except like right to the end because obviously we have a, a bunch of stuff to cap off that's gonna be RP decision making. But right, so we so we need so we need to do RP to keep keep our ratio low. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You got to keep it down. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that's uh, you know that's House Rebels. Honestly, I really I really should get on my. Uh, I should get on my shit. I because I put together a lot of book one before we even started the campaign, and I just haven't been doing that with book two, and I need to get my shit together. Uh, even though I know basically exactly how it's gonna play, it's it's gonna play out. Book two is a, is a, is a lot more linear, uh, comparatively. Okay, so so question for you is kind of like a general GM thing. How how far ahead do you do you have mapped out in general? 
I have I could tell you how the, I could tell you beginning to end how this how this goes right in kind of like an outlining sort of sense, um, uh, you know. In, well, actually, an outline is a bad way to term that. In kind of like a you know in 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 screenwriting, you would call it a treatment, right, or like a pitch. I could pitch to you what what happens uh, all the way out. I have full outlines up through book three, right. I know exactly how book three goes down. Um, kind of beat by beat. Actually, my sessions are session my or my outlines are session by session, right? Because um, one of the things, and this I learned this mostly from playing in Mark's game. Uh, one of the things that I've been very cognizant of and trying to do as much as possible is creating, uh, you know, like almost episodic arcs, right? I I don't, I don't want to build a, a plot point that doesn't. It's either multi, it's like it is either multi arc, right, where it's a couple of things, or it's it, all of this takes place inside of one session, right? So I know where to begin the session, I know where to end the session, and I never have to do any of those kind of like awkward mid session cuts, right? Uh, I mean, sometimes that happens, right? Like for, but like even those are planned, right? Like I knew that when you guys were going to do the Hedeman Hayes thing, that we were going to do the tavern stuff and then cut on the sewers and then the second session was going to be all sewers stuff right um anyway so i have i have the session maps all the way planned out through uh uh book three but uh i have i haven't actually done the like the full bore prep work um in the terms of like you know bringing in all of the you know just like statting up all the npcs in roll 20 and like bringing in the maps though i tend to leave the maps for last um that kind of stuff yeah, no, I would say that, that that lies in stark contrast to what I do, which is I, I run my I've been running my, my campaigns very, very close to the AP as written. And so it's kind of for me, it's kind of like on um, like the Wednesday before I'm running on a Sunday. It's like, well, time to figure out what we're doing this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I've, I've added a couple of fillers, you know, like the sewer stuff wasn't originally going to happen. In fact, the head of the whole Hedeman Haste thing itself kind of changed based on a couple of things um because you guys specific so you chose to do the so the other thing is that other pieces of this were were uh kind of like choose your own adventure and some of them happened earlier and some of them happened later right you guys front loaded a lot of kind of the groundwork for later in in the campaign of like you know you did both diplomacy challenges right off the bat um and then you got Aluria and you got Kilandriel on board, and then you assigned your safe, your second safe house to Clench Jaws, right? Which wasn't something that I expected, and it changed kind of the context of the Hedeman Hayes bit. Um, same thing with uh, uh, and and so, and then Clench Jaws is also referenced again first when you pick up Taylor and brought back later, kind of. So it's that kind of stuff, right? Um, and then obviously, you know, there's uh, there's like just filler all over the place. And then there's like little plot threads, right? That like, you know, hypothetically, uh, I was just going to have – it's really nice that this Ken Rob thing popped up um, in the way that it did. That was completely like – that was completely ad-libbed, by the way. Uh, that this Ken Rob thing popped up the way it did because it gave me a good excuse to not have Gondor instantly solve the, the Morgar Manthai thing um, where I didn't have to kind of contrive – something to keep him out of just like wow 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 oh he's bad guy kind of like right right yeah but yeah it's, it's a very exciting campaign and i'm looking forward to uh 
more of it. We're off this week, though, so you won't see us tomorrow. We won't be on tomorrow. Um, but we will. We should be up on next week. Um, but uh, so that that's that's we we didn't have uh, we well, we didn't have um, what's it called uh, Rune Lords um, for various century reasons, and then uh, video games. What have you been playing this week, buddy? Total War Warhammer. I completed my dwarves, and I'm basically through, uh, you know, doing Chaos Warriors. I have a little bit of a bone to pick with uh, with Total War because Total War games, by kind of their nature, get very uncompetitive at the like at like the the highest end gamest level. I'm kind of at that point. Uh, I mean, Chaos Warriors is a little bit different, but this definitely happened in my dwarf game where like I got to this point where really I couldn't lose the game anymore. There was kind of no risk involved because I was just so much more kind of monolithically powerful than the rest of the map. Um, and I just kind of had to like go through the motions and spam the end turn button uh, in order to complete the victory objectives, uh, you know, for the dwarves, which is just like control all of the holds kind of thing, right? How is your book of grudges? Oh God, the book of grudges. Uh, the book of grudges was really. So- oh, my book of grudges wasn't that bad. Um, there's one grudge that's very clearly tough to do, which is raising a master engineer to level 15. But I actually anticipated that one. And got it done quicker than I anticipated. What killed me were just like these random procs. Uh, yeah. And they were specifically random procs that were really bad, right? Because, you know, from the get-go, I had allied with the Empire, basically. Um, and me and the Empire were good buddies. You know, we band together, killed Chaos, band together, killed fucking Vamp Counts, all this shit. Um, and uh, it gave me two procs right in a row to... Um, fight no 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 one to assassinate an empire guy right and the other to go raid an empire land for two gold and i was just like why right why are do you i like it's just me and the empire and a couple of like little bullshit you know all across the map and we're almost done here okay we've almost finished all of this please just let me end the campaign uh but yeah i got to the i got to the end of the book grudges before i even conquered all of the holds to be honest yeah. Uh so yeah, I, I know that like I, I didn't I haven't played as much as you, obviously. But in my game, like I got called to war against the vampires by the people in the north, which I obviously had no access to, um, because that's just the way the map's laid out. But I got a grudge in there that's like kill some undead. It's like, well, that's not gonna happen for Oh years. yeah, then you get like forty severity off of it and it's like getting all that public uh like disorder and stuff like yeah. that. Oh god, that's brutal. Yep. It was frustrating. Um But yeah, no, I know I know precisely what you mean. Uh I also I have literally done this in every game except for Chaos for obvious. Well actually I've done it in Chaos too. Um in every one of my games so far, uh I have gone north and I have completely raised everything, right? absolutely everything um to end kind of the uh the the threat of the varg have you had like scaling and varg fuck with you yet okay yeah so scaling and varg are two chaos factions that they're not they're not hoarded um 
and it's brutal because they you have to go up there but you get all of this attrition for going up there and it was relatively easy on greenskins and dwarves because you're immune to attrition when you use the underway kind of thing um but it's just like i've spent so much of my time in these games um going north and just like it's raising all of those settlements to the fucking ground because they're just so frustrating to uh to kind of have to deal with in the mid to late game um but yeah, I'm I'm really close. I'm like 300 turns in on this on this chaos campaign, and I'm really close. I've just defeated, uh, Bretonia got defeated like right off the bat, and then I defeated um, Empire. In fact, I actually have the short campaign victory, and so I'm just working towards killing dwarves um, in order to end the uh, uh, the long campaign victory. But but yeah. I am so excited for I I'm gonna do every single race clearly like there all of these race mechanics are great they're super fun they're super interesting um, there's something at the top of the Total War Warhammer subreddit right now that says that Wood Elves which are my favorite faction and Beastmen are gonna be DLC for Game One which I don't really believe um, but you know I just I want to throw so much money at this game I just want to play this game for like forever <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a fun game I'm obviously not as enthusiastic as you are but. It's a good game. Um, for my part, I've been playing a lot of Enter the Gungeon because uh, it runs on my laptop and it shares progress across my laptop and my PC. And that game continues to be awesome. Um, continues to have just these, just the, the best sense of humor. Things like a gun that's it's called the barrel, and the the flavor text is nothing easier. And like the uh, and like the description says. Uh, the Gungeon is such an odd place that even, re- like, an aphorism repeated enough times will take form. But the Gungeon's first language isn't English, so things might be a little bit screwed up. It's literally a barrel that shoots fish. Um, and I... <laughs> yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's like, th- that kind of thing just permeates the whole game. And, you know, it's, it's for me at least, it's that right combination of, of it, it, it's, it, it captures the essence of what I love about roguelikes, right? Like, you play a bunch... And then maybe after like an hour, you get a really good run, and maybe you don't get, you know, you don't necessarily go the whole way, but you're like, okay, that's good. I'm done with this for now, and you put it down, and you feel very satisfied. And uh, I'm I'm very happy with it. I'm getting better at it so that I can get deeper, obviously, in in, in the dungeon, in, or in the gungeon rather. Um, and so, I, and the soundtrack is amazing. Downloaded that soundtrack, been listening to it uh, for a long time. It's you know, it's, it's great. But yeah, that's that's. I have I have had mixed uh, opinions on roguelikes. A lot of the times, I find that roguelikes um, make. <sighs> See, a lot of the times, I feel like roguelikes encourage behavior that I would say is weird overall. Um, I and I can think about this with like FTL, where kind of like best practices in FTL um, are things that. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, reload canceling on Reaper, right? That kind of, like, it's that kind of stuff that gets to me a little bit. Um, Can you like, explain? Just in the context of, like, uh, you know, one of the, um, so, I like that in FTL there's a lot of different ways that you can, like, kill bad guys, right? Um, and, uh. But at the end of the day, there are just some ways that are more efficient 
uh, kind of than others, and they don't really feel like kind of strategically like soundish enough. Um, and they don't also seem all that like intuitive. I don't know. And and, and oh oh, so, 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 but th- this is I think less of a problem with like roguelikes as a genre and more like. Like you, you're, I think what you're saying is a specific balance is such that there's a strategy that always kind of that, that that in your experience appears as superior. Like I'm assuming with FTL, it's something like say boarding is always the best way well, to go about things. So here, yeah, exactly. Right here's what I want. Right from a rogue, like I want the context of each individual run as defined by its RNG um, to make certain ways of beating enemy ships better. Right. If I, you know, ran, like, let's say I randomly into a good number of, uh, you know, whatever it is, stores or whatever that give me the right items that say, you know, ion cannoning the enemy ship and then killing its oxygen supply so that the crew suffocates and you can take, like, the, the ship that way or whatever, just by the context of the game, right? That's the best way to uh, to deal with it, right? Um, but in practice, that never happens. You can, you can do that. I've done that where like I specialize my run towards that thing. But at the end of the day, I'm just handicapping myself because it's a, it's a tough way to, to win. Right. Um, I don't know. I'm also not super, you know, I've played a lot of FTL obviously, but I'm not super, super up on the game. And I'm sure that, uh, any of our, you know, dozens of fans, uh, could probably, you know, point out that I'm, I'm missing something, but that's the way that it feels to me. Uh, and I've had that experience in other roguelikes that I haven't played all that much of. Um, yeah, I definitely feel that, you know, every every game has its flaws. Like if, if just to point one out about Gungeon is, um, your your starting weapon is bad, kind of by design. Um, and there's kind of no guarantee that you'll find a good weapon before the first bot. Like sometimes you open the ch- like there, there's almost guaranteed to be a weapon available somewhere on that first yeah. floor. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's like the water gun, which is 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 kind of like a, a very situational thing. You use it literally like to put out fires and like not you know you you don't use it to do damage. And that kind of sucks, and there are some runs where it feels like the deck's just kind of stacked against you, and that does suck, but it doesn't happen often enough for it to bother me. But I, I get what you're saying. I, I think that's just, like, kind of the nature of of uh, some of, – of of balance. Like, like, I think that's more of a balance issue than it is a genre issue, if that makes sense. Right? Like, like it, it's very possible for a developer to make a, 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 a strategy that is kind of unilaterally better than every other strategy, and that's – and, and that's not the fault of the genre. That's just kind of the fault of, of like an unanticipated number somewhere. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I totally. Yep. I'm totally with you, dude. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I have. I have. I have complicated feelings about this. Speaking um, of unanticipated numbers somewhere that have been changed, let's talk a little bit about the Overwatch nerfs that came out today. <laughs> The most natural segue in history. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, I saw the nerfs. Uh, I think they're good overall. I actually think they're better than that. I think that they are. They're not optimal. They're not quite what I think is perfect, but they're like 90%. Or, or um, well, let's tell the folks at home what they are, and then and then we'll we'll, we'll hear. Fair we'll, enough. We'll hear what Buddy's judgment. I'm excited. Um, so the the nerfs are for McCree. His fan, the hammer, does uh, 45 damage a shot instead of 70, and he reloads in 0.3 seconds instead of 0.7. Um, and I think that's it for him, right? 
I didn't, I didn't miss something. Yeah. No, that's it. And then uh, there's a there's a slightly uh, longer set of ones for um, uh, for uh, Widowmaker, which kind of come down to her unscoped damage is um, is down to fifteen or twelve base instead of uh, instead of fifteen instead of down to fifteen base instead of twelve or down to twelve instead of fifteen. I can talk today, I, I promise. Um, and uh, if that scales up to times ten when you've got a hundred percent. Uh, scope charge. Charge, yeah. Um, but we so body shots only do 120 damage now instead of 150, so you can't one shot uh, tracer or Zenyatta. Oh, um, thank God. And but the 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 other change is that headshot multiplier has been increased from two times to 2.5 times, which means her head stop, her fully power charged headshot damage remains the same, which I think is uh, appropriate. You reward skill, and you and you don't. Um, and you don't kind of like just let, uh, you know, fully charged body shots be rewarded as much. This is yeah, the, uh, you know, the downside here is, uh, a little bit of kind of behind the scenes numbers stuff that like, look, every, you know, not every casual player is going to get it that Widowmaker has a high, like I, 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 I would be a little bit happier with it if they almost gave her a passive, right. That said, um, you know, your headshots deal, 2.5 you know like deal an extra 50 percent damage right that would that would kind of uh that would be like the the, the most solid way i think to because it, everybody's headshots do double damage except for scoped widowmaker's headshots you know yeah what I mean? but that's also kind of like like that information isn't isn't like written down anywhere i, I think there's a problem with communication in general and overwatch like mercy's passive regeneration isn't written down anywhere um, yeah, that's also true. What the fuck is that about? I hate stuff like that. Yeah, and but but I think that like they never said that headshots did two times damage. People know that headshots do more damage, so Widowmaker just does more more damage. But that's I, I think that's a kind of like a design philosophy issue with um, with Overwatch rather than something specific to this change. No, sure. It, I mean, it's like a burden of knowledge thing, um, hypothetically speaking. That's that. That's like the cost of this change, kind of uh, like at the current uh, at the current moment. But otherwise, I think it, the, it's it's good changes. Um, there, they've are, also... there are two. There, yeah, I was going to say there are two more changes to Widowmaker as well. Uh, one of which is the ultimate charge is up, which you know is just it's it's a fat it's a very uh, it's a very fast charging ultimate in the first place. And uh, the other one is that you have to completely – you have to finish unscoping before you can scope again, which I think is kind of along the lines of like uh, – is animation canceling reach, Reaper Reloads. Yeah. Uh, if that makes – because it's – no, the, the, the way you take advantage of this is is as you're moving as Widowmaker, you half unscope and you rescope. So you move a little – you know, just a tiny bit faster in between them. And so I think – I, I think it's a positive change. What do you think? No, I'm with you uh, 100%. There's a lot of like – little techie shit uh that uh that i have learned recently for instance you know uh reinhardt with his shield up moves slower obviously and one of the ways that you can uh, get around that is if you spam jump right so you jump into the air and then you put up your shield well you're already in the air so you're going to keep your momentum forward right so you're not actually going to slow down um and then you hit the ground, and then you unshield and jump again, right? If you do that kind of correctly, you can have quasi, you know, kind of uh, uh, shield up time uh, while at the same time moving forward. 
I think that is first of all this is the kind of techie bullshit that I'm kind of like whatever man like come on first of all nobody's gonna do it second of all is really not gonna provide that much of a benefit to your team uh compared to something like the reaper rechart uh the, the reaper reload animation um that uh that i've actually gotten quite good at since i since i learned about it i just got in the habit of it um to to make my reaper play just a little bit better also it has the unintended side effect of every time you reload on reaper this has happened to me twice so far because you're you're very often in super close range on reaper and i when i don't get a kill because i have to reload the natural melee at the end of it i've actually gotten two kills off of that reload <laughs> melee <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous but uh but yeah i love overwatch man um and i think uh i think that these changes are are good they're they're very good blizzard changes uh i have to say for these to be the first out of the gate mm, i mean got I'm, I'm i'm getting more and more on board on this every day <laughs> So, uh, so, so you said that you, you didn't think they were perfect. What are your, what are your issues with them then? Um, the thing, so I think the problem with the fan, the hammer is that they should have reduced the spread a little bit. The, the philosophy is, um, you know, let's say you, right now, or well, actually before the patch, right? 70 damage per shot, which means that a full fan, the hammer, uh, is what? 420 damage, right? If you land right. all of your shots. Which it's is ridiculous, right? And then, uh, so, you know, I fan the hammer into a Roadhog. I roll. I fan the hammer. You know, he could have a Zarya shield. He could have, uh, he could literally have a Zarya barrier. A tor- no, no, wait, not that bit. Well, he'd have a Zarya barrier on, and I would still kill him, right, if I land all 12 shots. Um, now, what they wanted to do, but they wanted to keep your ability. If I flashbang, fan the hammer, a tracer, the tracer dies, right? If I flashbang, fan the hammer, anybody that's on a tank, right? I kill them in my one round of fan the hammer shots, right? Um, the problem is because they, like, you don't always get your fan the hammer off in in such a range that you're going to get all of those shots in your spread. And so this is actually a little bit of a stealth nerf to also killing the tracers and soldier 76s of the world. Right. Um, because if I do it at the exact same range, it used to be, I only needed to hit three of my six shots in order to kill that soldier 76. Right now it's going to have to be Jesus. What? All six. Um, let's, let's see. It's 45, 4, 160. So 90, 180. No, it's, I'm fine. I have to hit four. five. I, four. The grenade does 25 damage. Oh, oh, yeah, fair enough. You're right. Um, uh, that's actually, I didn't realize the grenade did 25 damage. Wow. Um, and so that and so that to me is kind of the place where it's missing, right? I feel like you could have tightened the spread on it a little bit if you're nerfing the damage by this much to make it not shred tanks. I think not shredding tanks is good, right? But I think, you know, you need to be able to land these bullets uh, – on on targets with a, a, a modicum of reliability. I mean, hell, I've missed plenty of flashbang fan the hammers even at medium range, you know, with the with the current spread because you only hit one or two bullets, um, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't carry over. But I don't know. There's there's other stuff in there, right? Like headshots or whatever. Yeah. So so actually, the the optimal way to kill a tracer now is to flashbang headshot, um, because that's 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 the that's guaranteed to kill as well. And doesn't have the kind of like you need to hit three to kill tracer, I believe. Yeah. Um. um but I think that that like so the, th- the thing that's weird about McCree to me is that like 
that the, the concussion grenade has just such a short range on it, right? Like, you know, I, I was fooling around with it just to, to kind of see it. And even if you aim it high, it bursts, like, relatively close in front of you. But I think what they want is for the left click on his on his gun to be the main way that you play the game. Like, Fan the Hammer is kind of like that, kind of like, you know, somebody's up close on me and it's kind of like, this is how I can deal with it if I have to. But I think what they want is for you to be mostly relying on your left click. But I don't think his kit always kind of aligns with that ideal. And I think that it's kind of this weird... Um, kind of like uh, as you would as you would say in League, the, the the character isn't very very isn't the whole fantasy isn't cohesive necessarily, or the the moves aren't synergistic. Yeah, I mean, I I think the I think it's weird that they did this reload after the Fan the Hammer thing that I don't even quite like. I actually thought the longer reload on Fan the Hammer was a good thing. Um, and uh, and I like I like Fan the Hammer being. See, I think if I were to have done these changes i probably would have kept the reload at the 0.75 seconds right because uh to me that's just counterplay right it's a big window at the end he you you are giving up a lot of time on the back end of that fan the hammer so if you don't get the kill oh that's danger zone for you uh kind of thing but um yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely agree uh, that the left click is... You know, I, I was watching a video the other day, I'm sure you saw it, where they were talking about the McCree nerfs. Or so he was just talking about McCree in general, and he this guy basically said, um, the good McCrees are the ones who can land their left clicks, right? The right. bad McCrees are the ones that just spam fan the hammer. Uh, and I, I, I think that there's a lot of... You know, I think there's a lot to that. So I think... So I, I, I think the reason why it's point three, and I, this, this makes sense to me at least, is if you're playing against a tank and you can get three fan the hammers off, you deserve to win that engagement. And this point three lets that happen because you fan the hammer, roll, fan the hammer, reload, fan the hammer. Um, and I, I think if you can do that, I, I do think you deserve to win that fight. I, I don't think you'd find a lot of people who think who disagree with that stance that like if somebody lets you do that, that 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 they that they in any way deserved win the engagement they were engaging you with um and i think that ultimately this reload time like it being longer doesn't really help anything because if you're bad and you don't kill somebody with your first fan the hammer then you roll reload and you like you you know maybe bad mccree's now have to fan roll fan to kill a soldier 76 but I think that's okay because that's a lot of resources spent, and that's like ten seconds of vulnerability right there, and it's not even a guaranteed thing because the stun doesn't last like stun lasts point seven five seconds. Um, that's like no time at all. Um, and so like I think what this this should do is like let you be reloaded by the time they get out of the stun rather than be like sitting while you're reloading. Um, and so I think it's okay from that perspective. Um. I just don't think that like I, I I agree with you that it's a nice lever to have, but I think that this is also a, a, a nice thing to be able to give back to somebody co- to, to for a McCree who is an extended engage with the tank. Yeah, I don't know. McCree is in a weird spot too because I also think that he kind of has two. This is a little bit like balancing somebody from like top and mid at the same time almost. Uh, in the context of. I think, or actually this is a little bit more like a tank build versus like a mage build on somebody like Echo. I think McCree kind of wants to occupy two spaces right now. The first one, uh, and I, you know, like as we theorycraft and as we break down Overwatch uh, kind of rolls more and more, I find myself using certain kinds of language. Um, 
I'll just explain real quick. I think from DPS, you kind of have close, medium, long-range DPS. Um, and then you have tanks, you know, supports, heals, whatever, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you have flankers who are the, you know, the assassins, right? Well, I think McCree, to a certain... And, and there are a couple of other champs who do this as well, right? Roadhog does this, Symmetra does this, are anti-flankers, right? McCree, Symmetra, Roadhog aren't really good on their own from a flank, right? I don't think it should be your job as a McCree to flank the enemy team go and kill their mercy because you just don't have the tools that a tracer genji um or reaper does to get out of that you right like all of the, those three champs who are dedicated flankers in my opinion are very good at getting out of af after like eliminating their super you know their their super uh powerful target um McCree doesn't have that option, but McCree is very good into all three of those, right? He's good into Genji, Tracer, and Reaper because of how this, like, you know, how his flashbang fan the hammer, he just locks them down. It doesn't matter if you're Tracer and you have all the mobility in the world, right? He stuns you and kills you, right? Um, as uh, Tracer and... Uh, Reaper are also kind of simultaneously like close range DPS. If you have, if your Reinhardt is up in the thick of it, right on the point, meleeing down whoever, that's where Reaper and Tracer also want to be in a dedicated push, right? When they're not flanking, they want to be with the team in close range quarters. Whereas Genji, I think, is more mid to long range. And I think that right now, McCree is simultaneously a mid range champ a close-range champ and an anti-flanker all kind of at the same time and jumbled together. And they and I feel like they need to pull some of his power from some of these places in order to kind of compartmentalize him down more. Um, and I think right now probably the best way to do that is reducing his damage, uh, reducing his damage at range. And they've kind of done the opposite almost, where they've lowered his close-range threat because he can't use Fan the Hammer uh, quite in the same way. I don't know. I think it's I think it's rough. I think it, it, McCree is going to be an interesting champion uh, for to say the least uh, for a long time. Yeah, I think that goes along with what I was saying. I think they want him they, they want him to be he'd be using his left click at medium range, but you know his 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 grenade says otherwise. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, them, this is actually something that I think is very interesting about Genji. Genji is a very close range champion to a certain extent, but he's also, he's also a very long range champion, right? Like his shurikens are super precise at long range. They have no missile fall off, which is kind of like, you know, somebody like Farah, for instance, is, uh, you know, she, to me, Farah is like a mid to long range DPS. She's very bad in close range. She damages herself with her own rockets, right? Um, it's harder to aim rockets. Uh, she's she's less bad, you know, medium badness at long range because you can dodge the rockets or whatever, but she's really best at medium range uh, where you can, you know, you're shooting your rockets. They're too fast to be dodged, right? But you're not so close that you're in danger of getting killed by these kinds of, uh, you know, like the the Reapers and the, and the Tracers of the world kind of thing. And I think that playing with ranges the way they do... Um, is, is interesting because I don't think every because I like that I like that Genji's a flanker who's also pretty good at mid to long range um, versus Tracer and Reaper who are garbage at anything except for close range and also flankers. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, but yeah, have uh, have you seen the uh, this one this one hero thing? Just talking about like Overwatch, like in a competitive sense. For uh, apparently oh, now in, yeah, that you can't do hero stacking anymore in competitive play. Do you have uh, do you have thoughts, opinions? Um, so 
I uh, so so is hero stacking one per team or one per match? One per team. Okay. I th- I think that if you're gonna do if you're gonna do it, I think one per team is is the right way. I don't think there's enough champions for it to work like League of Legends where you can have you can draft. Yeah, yeah. definitely not. Um, I also think that would be so hamstringy because uh, you know being able to dynamically switch to any of the champs in the roster is really important. I think to Overwatch, and if you you know if you can't switch, if they have if if I'm playing. Uh, Hanzo Widowmaker and I have the Winston on my team me not being able to swap into the Winston is a huge huge problem right yeah no I I, I agree I definitely think that you need to be able to keep heroes swapping up otherwise when like it I'm just imagining a draft scenario where both teams are identical except for the last like the last pick for the first team gets counterpicked by the last pick for the second team and uh, you know it sucks um but um I think that um, I think that this is probably a good thing for spectators and for variety's sake. Um, the danger I feel is that like if this is this, I think Blizzard's keeping an eye on it, and I th- I think that Blizzard's good enough to not need the competitive data in order to balance the game. Um, but I think a theoretical fear is something along the lines of. Um, if we have no hero stacking in competitive, then hero stacking being an issue may go unnoticed um, by the, like, you know, if let's say six Zarya's are secretly overpowered. Um, if we can't ever see that in a competitive match, maybe we never find that. And that's a problem because um, it pub stomps hard, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. So I think overall it's, it's a good thing. I think it's good for spectators. I think it's good um for kind of like thinking about the game. And I kind of wish, I kind of hope that if that's going to be the case for these independently hosted tournaments, that um, Blizzard, Blizzard enforces that in their competitive mode. Cause I think that'd be neat. How do I feel about that? Yeah, I, I, I do to a certain extent on one hand, I actually like hero stacking because I think it offers some neat, gameplay stuff. I like the idea that you can specialize a team with like Double Tracer or Double Winston. Double Winston is one you hear most about, right? Like if you need to just really like bull rush break down a point, you go double fucking Winston. Um I, I think the danger though is the one that you the, I think you hear more than what Winston is double Lucio, which is the one you use every time because it's safe. And I think that's that's the real problem. Yeah, right. And so that's kind of what I mean, right? Like, on one hand, you have good things, right? Like the double Winston. And then on the other, you have, like, double McCree's. So you just can't fucking play Tracer because, you know, like, they, they – it's not just that they have your counterpick. It's that they have your counterpick twice, right? Like, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good uh, – I don't have a good – I don't have a good sense on it. I mean, something that I think – to a certain extent, I feel like as we get more heroes, hero stacking will fall off naturally, right? Right. Or, you know, as heroes get changed, right? Like, there is a lot of overlap already, right? You you already have a really, like, powerful, um, hyper-aggressive tank combo by doing Winston Diva, right? Um, you already really, you, you have a really powerful support combo by doing Mercy Lucio, um, and then I don't necessarily think that you need the, um, you know, like you don't need to do the, you know, like, 
you don't need to do the double Lucio. You don't need to do the double Winston once there's enough of a hero roster uh, to kind of fill out the gap, right? Apparently, Reaper is already filling out the gap for uh, for McCree. And also, by the way, Reaper, I looked at the numbers. Reaper is fucking ridiculous, right? Like that. I can't believe he does as much damage as he does. I actually think he's very balanced, all told. Uh, just kind of. I think it's a, a lot. He has a ton of spread and everything yeah, like that, yeah, but it's just you, when you look at the numbers, it is ridiculous. Um, yeah. How quick he he just completely shreds through, uh, you know, like a Reinhardt shield where you land every single one of your shots. Well, one of his shotguns has the same numbers, or rather, each of his shotguns has a, has the same number as Roadhog's one shotgun. You know, he he's literally twice as powerful as Roadhog. Um, hmm. Uh, wow, jeez. Uh, he is twice the clip, I guess. I guess fire at approximately the same rate. But, um, man, Roadhog, Roadhog takes about six years to reload. I've got a lot of opinions on Roadhog. But, um, uh, oh, do you? I mean, yeah, so I love Roadhog. Probably my second favorite champ behind Junkrat. Um, but I feel like this is kind of like this kind of thing dawned on me when people say that you can't play Roadhog because he gives the enemy team too much ult. It's like, I think it's really cool that like his pla- play pattern is kind of like soak and heal. Like that, that that's how that's I think the best way to play Roadhog as as like a tank is you is you kind of absorb a bunch of damage, run hide behind a corner, inhale your 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 special sauce, and you wade back out and rinse repeat every eight seconds. Um, and I think that that's very successful. And I think that kind of the the issue that we're seeing here, or the the the, the potential issue, the competitive level, which is that that gives the team a lot of ult to play with. I think that's something that. Blizzard should consider, like, I think that's something they can tune. I think it's something they should consider tuning, because I don't think that that's an intended side effect. If that Oh, I see, I actually think he is. I think by basically design, Roadhog is actually the best tank in a lot of ways. He has the highest, you know, HP totals, right? He's got CC, really good CC. He's got the highest kill pressure uh, of any tank, I think. Um, And more importantly, like, not only just that he has the highest kill pressure, but, like, the fact that I can pull most champs in the game and one combo them out, right, that's that's just, like, oh, that's huge. I, I like, I don't know. I have I have a lot of, I, like, I think Roadhog is very good. I have a lot of Roadhog games where I'm top eliminations. You know, I'm gold eliminations, gold damage done, right? He's He does so much damage for a tank, right? He does so much healing. He soaks all of it. The downside to Roadhog is that, when you take damage, you are giving your the enemy team ult charge. Literally no other tank has that problem, right? Uh, or, well, th- that's not true. All of the tanks have that problem. It's just diminished by armor or by barriers or by actives, like, you know, the, the barrier on Reinhardt or uh, Winston or whatever, right? Um, and I think that that's part of, you know, like, I think that's part of the design. If there's anything, I think, I, I, like, I would hate, hate, hate to see Roadhog get that, buffed almost because i do think that it's like the downside to having roadhog on your team in a lot of ways okay i, I think i feel that but I, I so i think my argument was that he would be or my argument would be that like the things he's good at don't make up for that enough um like maybe you'd want to give him strength like maybe in, in the kind of way you want to make you know weaknesses weaker and strength stronger you might want to give him power somewhere else to kind of make up for that because like i don't <laughs> I, I don't think that, like, you know, charging another Mercy ult is worth it in a lot of ways at a, at a, at a higher level. Um, and maybe... 
man, how do I feel about that? See, I actually think at a higher level, it's because people, you don't like hooks don't land. That's you know, it's almost true. like it's 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 like Blitzcrank to me. Um, I think a his lot of his really ha- fast. Like I mean, it, like people argue about whether or not it's hit scan or not. It's so fast. Wait, they do. It's totally not a hit scan. Uh, so, I, I, well, man, geez, that is actually kind of interesting that I think about it. Well, because so I think of Roadhog Hook as dodgeable. I dodge a lot of Roadhog Hooks, but I kind of dodge them in the same way that I dodge like Blitzcrank Hooks, right? Where I see that he's coming to hook me, and I play around the ant. You know, so I'm anticipating the hook. Man, that is actually interesting. I don't know if, if that's because I'm good at anticipating and dodging or because um, – So I, I think the verdict on the hit scan thing is that the hit box is actually a little bit to the left of where you think it is. So if you're running across the front of him to the left, it feels like it's hit scan because he'll cast it late and he'll still hit you. Um, but that's still a very fast hook for that to work. Right. Well, I think the hitbox is also huge, but that, that's I think that that to me is good. The, for I, I use it a lot. You know, I played in in house with some of my friends the other day, and a friend of mine was playing Widowmaker, and it was so satisfying because um, he would do that thing where he would pop out right from uh, we were on Hanamura, and he was on that like upper upper thing, and he would just pop out, and as soon as I saw any piece of him, right, I can basically hook him through the floor. Um, or around a corner or that kind of stuff because as soon as you as soon as you connect with any part of them you connect with kind of all of them um and i think that that's yeah i don't know i think roadhog is good i'm kind of surprised he's not seeing more competitive play i think it's because it's a little bit like uh symmetra or zenyatta in competitive play where they don't quite fit like the super orthodox view of what a tank or a support should be and therefore they're not very useful um for instance i don't think roadhog is very good on attack maps and because i think roadhog wants to he doesn't. He doesn't want to create a zone in the same way that like Winston or Reinhardt obviously is like does this, where he goes in first and he gives kind of a disruptive opening for the rest of your team to do damage, right, and back up and back you up, kind of thing. I think a lot of the other tanks do that, um, but Roadhog really doesn't. Roadhog wants to be ducking in and out of corners, going for hooks healing away the burst that kind of thing a roadhog that just sits on the payload i don't think is a very good road like that's not like optimal roadhog um to me i, I don't really play him on offense maps to be completely honest i play him only almost solely on defense maps at this point um unless i need to like hard counter like a bastion or something crazy like that yeah i don't know yeah yeah i think it's just, i think it's just his downside in the same way that like you yeah, know, no, no, Reinhardt's downside is he has no long range, right? I mean, that's kind of every tank's downside. Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely feel that. I just don't know if he's strong enough in other places to, to all the way make up for that as much as you might think it would be. Like, I, I don't, like, and you know, when, when you're weighing, when you're weighing, do I take, say, who, like, I think I think Zarya might be might be a good comparison. Like, do I take a Zarya as my second tank, or do I take a Roadhog as my second tank? I think to myself, well, one of them's you know like I, I'm losing the CC on Zarya for the most part, but like I've got shields, I've got shields for the team, and I'm not giving them as much ult. And I think that that's a more compelling argument. Um, I think well, yeah, but Zarya doesn't do the damage that Roadhog does, and she specifically doesn't have the burst. I think uh, she doesn't have the burst, but I think she does the damage. Um, it's... well, okay, sure, so, okay, so if Zarya charges her shield, right, I like Zarya a lot, I use Zarya 
plenty, right? She's kind of my favorite tank, uh, even though I, I don't play her super often because, spoiler alert, people like to play DPS, and I think Zarya's at her best in double tank combos. But um, yeah. I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I, I don't know, I think there's a give and take with, with all of the tanks, except kind of Winston to me. I think Winston kind of does everything well, mostly just because he, he has pushed, such... I don't think he pushes cards super well. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, uh, it's, it's, that's a very minor thing to me. I mean, that's, that's like, a huge part. That's, like, you know, what one-third of the possible objectives in the game. Um, is push sure, but I'm just saying in, like, in kind of, kind of, like, map agnostic way, right? Zarya's benefits are she's the longest ranges of all the tanks because she can lob grenades in from wherever, right? Um, she has uh, she has a lot of damage. If you can, like, manage her barrier play, right? She has a lot of damage. Uh, she has a lot of support capabilities, right? That kind of thing, right? This is why you bring Zarya on a team. Roadhog, right, is he makes these picks. He can get, uh, you know, on, on offense, he can get entrenched defenders out of their entrenched positions, right? On defense, he can pick people off of, you know, like... It he picks people out of kind of the uh, like the death ball of having all six people sit on a cart kind of thing, um, and he's super good against flankers, right? So I, I think everybody has I think everybody kind of has pluses and minuses or whatever, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think Winston because like Winston is close range, but all the tanks are close ranged, um, and he has he has uh, I don't know. I guess he's kind of in a weird way the squishiest of them. Uh, of the tanks because he is simultaneously the most engage happy because he just wants to jump into the enemy team and not give a fuck. Um, but also he has the least amount of uh, like Ro- Roadhog doesn't do that to engage. So it kind of doesn't matter that he's technically squishier than Winston is. But Winston only having that hundred armor means that like, like I chew through Winston all the time on like Tracer. Whereas going up against Diva, well, going up against Diva is also kind of fine because you can just hit her fucking gigantic headshot hitbox. But even so, right, like she has four hundred armor to burn through, which for Tracer is just like impossible. Kill me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely feel that. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that like you know the, the kind of the the kind of common wisdom is um, you know for for taking points, Winston is to take Winston in for pushing payloads. Uh, take Reinhardt, and I think that that's, I think that for like like when you're pushing a payload, your tank sits on your cart. In the general case, I think that works for everybody that isn't, except for Winston, right? Like I think that, um, Diva and Reinhardt have mitigate directional mitigation. Uh, Roadhog can bring targets to him, um, and uh, Zarya has the range to kind of deal with longer range problems, and she has the mitigation. With uh, with her shields to to also deal with it, I think Winston Winston has to jump off the point to go deal with it, and then somebody else has to be pushing the point without their tank, which is suboptimal at best. Um, I think I think that's an important an important weakness for Winston. Yeah, I mean, I I do agree, but I also think that Winston is like I think Winston is still good on payload maps, right? Like you know, this is why you bring. Uh, flankers on payload maps, right? Because you go off in front of the payload and fuck with people so that they can't create entrenched defenses to deal with. Like, like, I think this is kind of why Bastion is as pub stompy as he is, because in in a certain sense, the payload makes you want to put people to sit on it. Right, and yeah. when you and Bastion, you know, he knows that payload is going to take that route, so he can just 
tear it up and call it a day. But it's the flank. It's the people who who push out in on in front of the payload, right? Um, who make it tough for the like the Bastion has to now deal with a Tracer, Genji, and Winston, right? And it doesn't matter that the you know the Mercy Reinhardt Soldier seventy six are just sitting on the payload because he can't set up in order to properly deal with it. I don't know. I it's tough to it's tough to talk about this stuff in like in a nutshell. Um, yeah. Like I also think like Diva, like Diva to me is a very compelling tank, um, but I have a lot of usability problems with Diva. I think she's almost too hamstrung by how slowed down she gets by firing and stuff. Yeah, um, she she can't like she can't do two things at once, which is which is really weird, right? She can't really move and fire. She can't block and fire. She can't move fast and fire. Like yeah, like. Yeah, and, and I feel like that that's in a game that's so hyper like this game is, I feel like the the inability to kind of like move and shoot at the same time is she can she can't move and shoot at the same time, she doesn't have like the output of somebody who like, you know, the extreme of that which is Bastion, right? Like Bastion's saving grace is the fact that he puts out like so much damage that it's it's she puts out Bastion puts out so much damage that it's it's unreasonable, um, at at some level, but for the fact that he can't move. Um, Diva puts out a fair amount of damage, but you have to be right next to them, and it just—I just don't think it—it it works as the way they. I think that they want it to, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I really don't have a, a like in my head. I don't necessarily have like a good solution to Diva. Um, I like that she's squishy and she has like you know directional mitigation and that kind of thing i think that those mechanics are good and they're compelling uh and i like that she's a very offensively focused tank but it feels like it feels like diva flies into the point and then roots herself to to fire at you which just makes her just like this giant hitbox right that everybody just throws all of their damage at winston like the tough part about winston on like from the defending perspective is that he's running around with his tesla cannon and he's still doing damage right or i mean he's still moving at full speed right so you actually acquiring the target of winston and shooting him uh is not as as not as easy yeah i mean even the same thing with reinhardt to a certain extent right when reinhardt gets going swinging his hammer and melee he's actually kind of remarkably fast um and there's a lot of times when, you know, I'm just whiffing shots on him because it's mostly because he has a very gangly hitbox. Um, and when he's swinging his hammer, his arms and legs are making these huge sweeping arcs. And so it's tough to target them almost, um, which is kind of like a unique thing to, to Reinhardt's hitbox because basically Diva and Winston are just big. Even Roadhog and Saria are big giant spheres, right? <laughs> Uh, they don't have, they don't have that same kind of problem. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. She's over. God, it is, it is interesting. Are there any other champions that you think are deserving of nerfs past this kind of nerfs Nerfs? or buffs? Mm. Like what are the changes that you would make? So I don't, you're, I don't, you're you're James whatever Jason Kaplan James Kaplan whatever his fucking name is his name is uh uh his name is something Kaplan I don't think it's James uh but yeah um for some reason maybe Jeff Kaplan is Jeff the name Kaplan in my head. that's it yeah okay uh, uh, I thought it was a J name yeah uh so um so you know if, if I'm gonna take the kind of league approach which is you want this game to be competitive at some level is 
I I don't know if I have an answer for this, but I want a way for Torbjorn and Batchin to be high level viable. Um, and I don't know. I, I just don't know the hmm, answer okay, to this question. Okay, what would you say? Uh, you know, is that? Um. So the, the big the the big. So I I don't know what the solution is, but I can tell you the problem, which is that a lot of their power is stationary. Um. You know, Tor Torbjorn, Torbjorn. Torbjorn's turret has to be destroyable, otherwise you have things like two fort and Team Fortress 2, where it's like six engineers with level three sentries that you just kind of like walk into until the Uber until the medic can build up an Uber charge. Um which doesn't exist in this game really. Um But uh I I you know honestly, I, I don't know if I have if I have a good answer on, on how to fix this problem. Um Bastion, I think you might be able to do it by tuning his numbers a little bit, um, and you know, tuning like, like maybe like shortening. So, so there's the issue of of over tuning a champion so that they can't so that they they pop a stomp even harder, which I think mm. is a real problem for Torbjorn and uh, and Bastion. Actually, uh, uh, so I actually have two fixes okay. in my head. Go for it. Go for it. I literally just made this up on the spot. Okay, so here's here's my fix for Torbjorn. Torbjorn can use armor packs to level up his turret faster, right? So let's say I'm in the middle of a firefight and I have 200 scrap, right? I set up my turret. It takes one second to set up to level one. I hit it once with my hammer and I spam E on it, right? And it's instant. And it's level two within two seconds instead of a full six seconds. Huh. That or or repair it or both. I think I think I think either of those work. I think like if you've got it set up, like I think I think Torbjorn wants to have the limiter where he has to kind of set up a little bit, but he can't just kind of instantly jump into it. But I think the idea that like if you've got that set up, the ability to like to defend your turret effectively, I think I think that's an important aspect. Like if you're sitting there hitting your your turret with your hammer, you're doing it wrong. Torbjorn, yeah. Torbjorn is like like I'd say almost like sixty to seventy five percent of his effectiveness is on the character himself. Um, I think a quick, you know, a, a, a way to quickly, like, repair your turret so you're not out of the fight that long, I think that's a good way. I, I, I like that. Um, okay, and here's my Bastion uh, fix. Um, his you, you lower his weapon spread a little bit, um, and, uh, and you up the damage uh, in recon mode. Here's my philosophy. I, I'll, I'll take the Torbjorn one first. Here's my philosophy. I think in high-level mode, right, um, I, I think the reason Torbjorn is pub-stompy is because people can't coordinate to take out Torbjorn turrets, right? They don't know, you know, I, I do it on Farah, right? Three, ro three rocket direct hits kills a Torbjorn turret, right? So I know when I'm on Farah, I pop Invision rocket out of vision, Invision rocket out of vision, Invision rocket out of uh, you know out of vision kind of thing, right? Uh, that'll blow up and that'll blow up Torbjorn turrets, no problem kind of thing. Um, but in low level pub stompy stuff, right? People don't kill people don't kill the turrets, and when they do, it's very uncoordinated or whatever. So the fact that Torbjorn can put up his turret faster isn't all that big of a buff to a pub stompy 
low-level Torbjorn player because his turret's just not going down with the same kind of regularity. Oh, but in high-level play, it goes down all the time, right? And so the high-level player needs a way to instantly get his level two turret up and running, right? Because the enemy team is so good at coordinating around his fixed turret location, right? Um, the same thing I think is a little bit true for Bastion. I think, uh, you know, pub stop be Bastion players sit in one spot. They sit on the point. They sit on in their corner, and they never get out of turret mode, and they just, you know, spam left click, right? Um, this is this uh, affects those players not at all, right? But if you're the kind of player that is anticipating, oh boy, here comes Tracer, you know, you you already have a quarter second to pop out of turret mode and get back into recon, right? Uh, so pop out of turret mode, get back into recon, and try and 1v1 the Tracer with your mobility in recon mode rather than trying to burst her down, you know, in yeah. in, in, in sentry mode. See, I, uh, similarly, I was, I was going to say that uh, kind of on this, this, along the same idea is because, you know, the pub stomp aspect is a guy who sits there and doesn't and, – and, you know, just never – you know, is always a turret as Bastion. I was thinking maybe lowering the transform to turret time. Um, kind of helps to solve this problem because it lets you reposition easier. Um, or maybe even like upping his move speed a little bit in recon mode or something like something that lets you reposition, but not in like, uh, like you still have to have that kind of foresight to set up a little bit. Um, yeah. Um, which, and I, I think, I think the, what, what I was saying, where you use armor packs to repair the turret is kind of the same kind of philosophy as you were saying is, you know, you, 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 you kind of give your turret a little bit more. It, 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 it's obviously a different use case. Yours, it's, it's set up a new turret somewhere else. Mine is, mine is give it a little bit more longevity while it sits where it is. Um, I, I, so the thing I worry about with um, with the with the increased build time is is that like you know Torbjorn doesn't want like you, uh, the the worst I think iteration of this is like an instant build turret that you know instant build level two turret that um that you know just is you know it, it it might as well just be a second player right like. Like it's it's not hampered by its mobility at all, so I I worry a little bit about that being a problem. Ma well, yeah, that 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 to me is why you need scrap to do it, yeah. right? And and, and th like it's it's already a built-in resource here, right? You right. can't just you can't reposition your turret once, get a kill, and then reposition it again and have the same two two second uptime, right? Yeah, this it's kind of like it's kind of a panic button uh, almost in order to you know. Yeah, something I, I... I also think, by the way, his scrap, it desperately wants to be used for something else besides, Yeah, you know, I think I, I think I agree. I, I, I think originally it was going to be like the TF2 scrap, which is like, you need it to, up, you need it to upgrade to level 2. You, you spend scrap when you hit it. Um, <coughs> um, I think maybe a way to, to, to help him out too is something like... Having the level one, the level one turret build rate be faster, um, either straight up or with armor packs, because I think kind of it's not so bad to be like, oh man, I need to throw down this turret and kind of get to fighting and have it as kind of like a like a half strength thing that's sitting there. It's kind of deployable at will. Isn't the worst. Um, that's true. Um, I, I think, but uh, but yeah, that's my that's that that's my biggest thing. I think for. For the, for the game is this. Do you have anything you'd want to nerf or buff in particular? 
My first thought was going to be Hanzo, uh, but I actually don't know. I I've, I actually have Boy, an answer for that one. Um, well, Widowmaker. The, the problem I think with Hanzo is just that Widowmaker was too good, right? No, no. And but so I, now that I, I think I think I've got the answer to how you make Hanzo a little bit better. Um, okay. I think you up his health pool a little bit because I think like they, they they act like Hanzo like they call Hanzo a sniper, but Hanzo really wants to be more mid range. Um, Interesting. Um, that's just like you know th- that's just the way it goes sometimes, right? Like his his arrows are too dodgeable at long range. They've got too much drop, like. It's it's really hard in an organized game to to ever hit narrow on Hanzo. Um, I think you give him more a little bit more health and let him st- sit in the mid lane or like the the um uh the mid range a little bit better. Maybe maybe not health. Maybe some other sort of compensation, right? But like um maybe maybe he doesn't even need it. But I think a Hanzo behind a Reinhardt shield is a lot more powerful than people give it credit for. Um, and I think that's how you I think that's how you make Hanzo. I think that's how you play Hanzo viably. Jeez. See, to me, though, I actually I don't agree with that. Well, I kind of feel like that's how you play Hanzo viably if you can't hit your arrows almost. But, like, so I think the problem with Hanzo is that he doesn't have mid-range DPS numbers, right? Like, Soldier 76 at DPS is Hanzo from mid-range. Sure. Yeah, A lot. I mean, fair. honestly, basically all of the mid-range heroes do. Maybe... Ooh, God, jeez. I, I, I guess he kind of goes one for one with Pharaoh, but Pharaoh has AoE damage in her favor kind of thing. I don't know. I, I feel like Hanzo really wants to be picking... Um, I feel like Hanzo really wants to be picking his targets. Uh, I You know, the other half of, of Hanzo, though, that I think is, like, kind of deceptively amazing is that um, his... Arrows pack a lot, like, he's he has a low firing rate, right? This is sniper material, right? But his arrows pack a lot of punch that I think makes, this is almost like a psychological thing, almost. But, like, I, I, okay, so, a player at 200 health behaves differently than a player at 75 health, right? And that, for Hanzo, is one arrow. All he needs to do is land one arrow to trigger your, like, <gasps> you know, thing or whatever. Uh, and I think that that's, like, kind of a weird – that's, like, weirdly psychological warfare um, that makes him better in those – I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. It's just something that I think of as being interestingly powerful because, uh, you know, he is deceptively bursty just because he has such a low firing rate. Yeah, I, I think his his his, his – uh... His arrows also have like this very weird, um, like they, they hit heads easier. I think it's got like a weird hitbox, um, on on the arrow, um, and I think, I think that actually makes him more powerful in the mid range than you give him credit for. I'm, I'm looking at some at some numbers. Um, oh, this is old though. I don't know if this is still relevant. Never mind. Um, I'll look up the numbers earlier. But my my suspicion is that he's more powerful in the mid-range, assuming you're hitting headshots, um, than you give him credit for um, versus somebody like a 76. Um, And given that hitting headshots with him is easier. Yeah, man, I really don't have a... Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good fix offhand. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's, like, more mid to long range than it is, like, Solar 76 is kind of mid to short range. Um. I don't know. I, I think it's very hard for. I think it's very hard, like in concept, for Hanzo to ever be on par with Widowmaker, 
just because, you know, those, those arrows are hard to hit for no fault of Hanzo's, right? Like, if you're paying attention to where he is, he's never going to hit you from long range. It's just, like, it's just, just not, I don't think it's possible. Or, like, like I, don't, I don't think it's possible to be good enough on Hanzo to not be able to dodge it as, as anybody else, except for maybe, like, uh, maybe a Roadhog or a Reinhardt. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you add snipers to this game. You know, like, I think there should be more, like, super long-range champs. I just don't... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what options you have. You know, like, I don't know what good options you have. Uh, to a certain extent, I think that you do want to have the super long range, uh, kind of like other, you know, like not every long range character has to be a sniper, right? See, Farah, see, uh, Genji, Junkrat, right? Like there's plenty of options. I don't know, man. I really, I really don't know. To be, to be honest, I actually kind of think that there's more room to play with like explosive characters than there is to play with snipers like i don't know that you could do another sniper character but i do think that you could do plenty more explosive characters right yeah, i give give hanzo an explosive tipped arrow and you know call it a day <laughs> yeah maybe you know but like you know so like you know imagine playing this 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 is crazy uh but imagine playing like something like a mortar kind of oh, thing yeah. right where like you get into more you know like it's all indirect you, fire you, right well or in the in the sense of like it's almost like scoped, but you change the way that, like, imagine it's like Torbjörn, and he has a little drone, right? And he has this big mortar cannon, right? And then your your left click is, he shoots a fucking pistol, who cares? And his right click is, it takes half a second, he pops down his mortar cannon, throws his drone up into the air, and then your vision changes to be a top-down view of the whole map with your firing arc, right? And then you fire off your shots, right? And they're true mortar shots, right? That that to me is an interesting long range character that kind of almost blends huh. the blends the line. I think that you could do almost a true bazooka character, right? That has, you know, like let's say he that it's one shot, but the just the explosion is gigantic, and you have to kind of sit down and uh, like you know sit down and set up for it, right? You know, you 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 right clip, get in in a kind of scoped mode or whatever, and then you fire this like tank buster round that will just like, you know, absolutely destroy anybody who's sitting still on the payload, kind of thing, right? Like, I think I think th these are options that you have, but I don't think there's an option for. Well, here's somebody who uses a sniper rifle, and they're uh, they're also here's here's another sniper. I don't know that there's other good options for that besides just Widowmaker. Yeah, no, no, no. You've got my creative juices flowing. I'm thinking of like. Something like you were saying with the mortar character, but instead of like, you've got you you, fly, you do top down. It's you have like, you have like your 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 left click is like a pistol that doesn't do any damage, but it paints a target, and then like a half second later, around a, a like a round from like an airstrike lands somewhere. I've actually spent a little bit too much. I'm I'm just gonna take the time here to come up with overwatch heroes because i've actually taken more time out of my life to do this than i thought something that i think would be a great support character something about this game that i like is um and i and i want to see more of is them removing support from just like a heals only kind of thing and i think 
one of the cool ways that they've done that with kind of people like Symmetra a little bit is, um, you know, like CC. Yeah. Um, you know, she slows people down, that kind of thing. And so I was thinking about a, a character who wears like, you know, like a hazmat suit or something. And his gun just lobs goops of slime. Right. And the slime, you know, if if it hits the wall, it hits the wall. If it hits a person, it covers them in slime for a second or two or whatever. But the slime slows them down and does a little bit of dot damage kind of thing. Right. I think I think a character like that would is so awesome for like the context of Overwatch, um, because, the, you know, those that's really powerful. Being able to slow somebody down in order to, for whoever to kind of hit their shots uh, or whatever. And I think that that's kind of like an unsung version of uh, I think you- of like a of a support kit. I think you just described the slightly longer range may. You know, maybe. So the, the, I get, you know, maybe, I guess. Uh, I, I think that there's, um, the difference is that you can paint stuff beforehand, right? Like oh, I can, I, just, I can, you know what I mean? I can just shoot the ground and goop the fuck out of the ground so that this whole choke, right. Anytime anybody runs through it, they're taking this dot or whatever. Plus, there's also, you know, there's more ability space to play for it. If they're yeah, a support, yeah. for instance, you can also have, you know, that goop can also heal your allies, right? So maybe you're on offense and you goop the fuck out of the payload to give everybody a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a hot, right? You know, there's that kind of stuff, right? What does this guy's ultimate look like? Does he just, like, pull out a fire hose of goop? <laughs> and he's just <laughs> Yeah, just spraying goop all over the map. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. I would love that. Right? You, yes. You you want you want uh, Super Mario Sunshine as, as yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just just go full Splatoon on this bad yeah. boy, right? Oh, uh, dude, but yeah, I mean, this, uh, one of the Splatoon squids as a as a hero. That'd be a plus. <laughs> uh, I, and, I, and you know, I, so I think there's uh, I think that there is room for that. To a certain extent. I'm actually kind of surprised they don't have a healer who gives burst healing. Um, to me, I think that's something that's really lacking in Overwatch. Uh, and I don't know if they'll ever do it because it kind of seems like they have a design philosophy that the only kind of heals are going to be HOTS. Right? But, you know, to me, a healer that heals for 150 points of damage with a 10-second cooldown, right, that's targetable like a Zarya E is targetable. Um, you know, that I, I kind of can't believe they haven't made that yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mean they they kind of have Roadhog's kind of that, but like you know obviously it's only on himself. Um, yeah, yeah. I I think in kind of very like in very leaky terms, it's, it's kind of frustrating to play against. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting idea. But uh, yeah, I don't you know I don't know what uh because the thing is that the 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 HPS on that is low, right? Um, 15, you know, that's, yeah. that's half of Zenyatta, right? Right. But because it, it, it's so much more impactful, right? When you land one of these on someone who's about to die and they get, you know, the double kill kind of thing, right? Uh, I feel like that makes up for it to a certain extent. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer. I also think that, you know, like, I also think you're right. I think, for instance, I think if you swap around this goop guy a little bit, you also get a tank because CC is also built into a lot of tank kits, right? Um, And I definitely see, you know, that. Yeah, I I kind (laughs) of... If, if, you know, they've cribbed so much from TF2, I kind of want a character that has the air blast reflection that, that, uh, that the pyro has. What is... I don't even know what that means. When the pyro right clicks, he lets out an air blast... And uh, and it can reflect projectiles, and it um, 
I think it ends up some nominal amount of damage. Um, but it's it's like it you it's as opposed to say like Genshi Reflect, right? It's like it's got like a slow, small internal cooldown. Like you can do it maybe once every second or three quarters of a second. Um, but the the window to reflect is much much smaller. Um, and so I, th- I just like that mechanic is something that I'd like to see. I actually would like to see a dedicated pyro uh, champion um, because I, th- I, you know, I like the idea of, you know, wide, wide spray. It, I, to me, actually, I think the pyro champion is best built in almost kind of a like a, like a logarithmic fashion, where as he deal, you know, like he he puts stacks of the dot on you for every half second, right? That you're taking fire damage from his flamethrower. So it's not, you know, can he get you with the flamethrower for half a second? Well, that does nothing, right? But if he can get you with that flamethrower for three seconds, you're dead kind of thing, right? Um, and the, you know, maybe the dot lasts another one second on top of that so that even if you get out of range, you'll still burn out. Uh, that kind of thing I think would be, is a pretty good, uh, I don't know. It's almost like missing from the game. This was the this was the thing that had us discuss whether or not May uh, and Winston behave like flamethrowers. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about that the other day. Well, that was a lot of Overwatch. We've got about five minutes left, and we said we were <laughs> talk about E three. So, do you have any highlights from E three you want to talk about? I've got a couple that I do. You hit me, and your your highlights are better than mine, which are. I mean, so non, yeah. <laughs> so the, the first thing that I'm going to talk about that I know you don't care about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, is uh, Zelda Breath of Wind. It looks amazing. It looks like Zelda combined with Skyrim combined with a little with a dash of Dark Souls, and that to me is just like kind of everything that I thought Zelda could be in its like kind of coolest form. It's got like. It's, it's got just, it, like, just looking at it, it's got so much stuff. You can chop down trees, you can cook food, you can walk anywhere, you get all sorts of cool little gadgets to interact with the world with. You, like, you know, it's, it's, but it's still got that kind of healthy dose of Zelda, there's Zelda stuff. There's, there's puzzles, there's, uh, there's, you know, decent combat, there's, um, and then, and then there's, uh, on the other side again, there's gear, there's, uh, different, like, stats that you want to, use there's like in cold environments you want to wear a sweater so you don't you don't take damage from the cold uh stuff like that there's there's even like little like what one of the bosses they showed like you climb up it kind of like with little shades of shadow of the colossus and it looks like like kind of like the culmination of like you know all what 40 plus years of video games that we've had so far and it's kind of like really just like you know it's kind of this big grand adventure that i'm I am so looking forward to it. Just looks, it looks incredible. Um, and I really hope it delivers on the prom on, on what, what it seems to promise. Cause it looks amazing. Um, in, in ways that I, in a way that I, I didn't really anticipate it being, I thought it was just going to be another Zelda game, but it, it it's not, not in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I mean, I got, I see it's funny with Zelda games. Uh, everybody always talks about Ocarina of Time and the amount of goodwill that Nintendo has been able to bank based solely on the Ocarina of Time. They need to give whoever made that game a fucking medal because there. I feel like so many Zelda games have been shit. 
right? I played, I, for the record, I played Ocarina. I thought it was whatever. I played Majora's Mask. I didn't like Majora's Mask. And then I played, oh, God, what's the GameCube one? Not Wind Waker, which I thought was actually pretty good. Twilight um, Princess? Twilight Princess. That one was shit. Uh, and then you just, like, I don't know. I I, I, I think God, you're literally the I'm only human so, being with that opinion. I, Twilight what, Prin- the Twilight Princess is bad? Yeah. Ugh. I didn't play any of these games exhaustively, you know what I mean? I, like, most of it was just kind of trading off the controller at friend's house thing. So, you know, I, I haven't played any of these games within the last five, ten, maybe years, right? But at the same time, it's just kind of like, oh, God, I cannot be, I just can't be brought to the table uh, when it comes to when it comes to Zelda. I don't know. That stuff sounds good. It sounds like it hits kind of the immersive aspect that I want out of a lot of uh, open open world games, right? I feel like if you want if you make a, uh, a game uh, open world, you want it to be immersive that way. And you know, yeah, running around chopping down trees, running around cooking cooking yourself food to keep your HP high, that kind of stuff. I'm down any day of the week for for that kind of thing in general. But ooh, bu- 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 boy, boy, oh boy. Yeah, well, you can go be sad by yourself. I'll have fun with Zelda. Um, but to to bring it maybe into a space that you can relate <laughs> to a little bit more, um, I thought the the new Titanfall videos looked great. Um, I don't really care about first-person campaigns, but it's kind of neat. So I I think you might enjoy this, buddy. The, the kind of concept is that, like, uh, it, it opens up as, like, like who's your what happened to your pilot he was uh killed in action what what i i bound with this random rifleman it's like what well, why did you do that we had to and it's kind of like a boy in his robot type type deal um i am a big fan of this i i, I don't really know how much i can really say about this i've actually know that titanfall 2 uh is in development for a long time because i actually know some people that respawn randomly um and on one hand the guy in me who's like, you know, the golden age of single player games, right, was kind of that magical time between like 2005, maybe it's a little bit later, maybe it's like 2007 when we get into like the mod, like the 360 console era, 2007, like 2012, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have like League is hitting, right, and games start going the kind of multiplayer only, and everybody's like, you know, the other reason you play COD is for the multiplayer, that kind of thing. Um, and so I like that this seems to be a step in the other direction, where somebody says, you know, uh, I want my... Um, you know, I want to make like let's make a let's make a single player game. Um, I think that's I think that's great. I want to see more of these games. I love these games. Um, but I don't know. I, at the same time, I also feel as though it really pulls in two directions because when you're doing these multiplayer games, you're really asking for games as sport, and when you're doing these single player games, you're really asking for kind of games as art. And so, can can you? Um, manage that discrepancy like i don't think i don't think i don't think call of duty has managed that discrepancy since modern warfare one honestly like modern warfare one is a great story but i you know they're really so good they're releasing it again yeah exactly i don't really know that any of the other ones are really anywhere even close black ops was okay ish 
Yeah. Not really. I, 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 <laughs> like, I, I, okay, it was at, at the time it was okay for a Call of Duty, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't play single player campaigns in these games. I am super hyped for the Titanfall two multiplayer. I just watched the trailer. Titan, Titanfall is also crazy because Titanfall is, is a game that I, I I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Titanfall. Right? Every time somebody mentions Titanfall, oh, what a great game! But nobody fucking plays it, right? Um, which I think is nuts. What I like about what I like about combining single player and multiplayer um, is that it does allow the player like me a good window into some of these games. Um, if Star Wars Battlefront had had a single player game, I, I, I you know I could have bought that right um, because I you know I know with my multiplayer titles right. Uh, I'm not swapping them very often, right? I just made the first big multiplayer swap that I've made in five years. And that was from League to Overwatch, right? I don't think I'm going to be walking anywhere near, you know, like a new multiplayer title. And I think a lot of players also live in this kind of longevity, right? You dedicate yourself to these multiplayer games. They are long-term investments. It's not something that you pick up and put down. But single-player games are, are that, right? Oh, sorry. You you dropped you, you dropped on my end, but you probably recorded on your own, which makes it a-okay. Sorry. All right, uh, man, I was in such a good rant. What was I saying before? You were... Uh, I, oh, okay. Um, but the exact opposite is what happens with these single-player games. Because with single-player games, you know, you, you're going to get how... You know, I, a good single-player game is going to get you a lot, of, a lot of hours or whatever. But you're going to put it down, right? It's got a finite lifespan. Um, and I think that that's why you, you dedicate your time to it because even if your multiplayer isn't quite enough to stick which to be fair i think it's tough to get your multiplayer to stick um you can still make a single player and if your single player campaign is good enough you're gonna get players like me you're gonna get players that pick it up because you know they're gonna pick it up they're gonna play it for for a couple of hours and then they're gonna put it down because they're gonna go back to their league or their overwatch um you know, having played their single player. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, see, something I'm kind of sad about in kind of this vein is that uh, Titanfall 1, uh, have you have you played any Titanfall 1, buddy? I played, yeah, I played a little bit of a, uh, not the beta, but they had like an open weekend. Maybe it wasn't the beta. So if, if you remember that game, it does have a kind of single player mode, which is essentially a series of multiplayer matches with like these kind of like vague story overlays on top of it. I thought, like, I don't think it was particularly well done, but I thought that was a neat idea, and I kind of wish that that was, like, a thing that, a thing that they kind of tried and tried again, see if they could get it right, because I, I, I like that idea, right? Like, it it, it works for, it's kind of like Diablo, even, right? When Even when if you're playing multiplayer, you're still playing through the story, and you still kind of get that little bit of it along with it, and it lets you kind of not split your pool and not split your resources so much uh, against single versus multiplayer, um, I am a huge fan of that kind of thing in general, mostly because of Battlefront 2. I played Battlefront 2 is kind of like the er shooter for me in a lot of senses because uh, it was one of just like the first multiplayer shooter games that I really ever played. Um, but the single player game was almost a tutorial in that game. And all it did was it had a cutscene on either end. You, you, 
you're playing the same maps, right? You're playing the same maps against the same kinds of enemies, and you just had a cutscene with a voiceover on either end explaining the context of why you came to this spot, and those cutscenes linked together. Uh, the story in Battlefront 2 is actually fucking amazing, and the best part about it, as like a huge Star Wars nerd, is it fills in a couple of really interesting plot holes um, that get created because because it, it's very unique nature of bridging the gap between the prequels and the uh, um, and the original trilogy. It, it answers some interesting questions uh, that get raised. For instance, uh, th- one of the multiplayer missions is how the uh, the Camino cloners don't want to make clones anymore for the Empire because they think the Empire sucks. So they have secretly created their own clone army. Uh, and are trying to, you know, rebel against the Empire. So you show up as stormtroopers and you fight clones in game terms. Uh, but it actually kind of fills in that plot hole of like, oh, well, what happened between, you know, episode three and episode four that the, you know, the stormtroopers aren't clones anymore kind of thing. Anyway, um, that to me, where you kind of build in a tutorial to how your game plays out of the single player is the, is, is kind of the best bridge between these these worlds almost yeah yeah i definitely i definitely feel that um i think we're, we're running a little bit over on time i kind of want to give some quick shout outs to uh to Scalebound and dad of war um just because i i was i was really taken surprised by how much i i am anticipating those games and also sea of thieves just like i am i am unhyped but interested in uh, Dad of War, because I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, I never cared about the God of War games really, um, and I don't think that they're all that, you know, kind of great or that Kratos is all that whatever. But I think that what we saw was interesting. Yeah, no, least. I like I even though it wasn't straight up like great. I, I expected to be bored by that trailer, and I was intrigued. So points to points to, to Sony for that. Um, Scalebound I've been anticipating for a long time, um, and in kind of the opposite way, I expected to be very hyped by it, but then they had some douchebag with a headset being a bro, and that really kind of sucked a lot of the wind out of me for that game, which was very sad. I just hope that I don't have to play that guy when the game comes out, because it looks like a <laughs> lo- like, like really fun mechanics-wise, but if I have to hear him call the fucking dragon big guy for eight hours, I think I'll I'll, I'll just break the disc in half. Oh. <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know uh i haven't quite gotten to that point i like sea of thieves mostly because yeah. i've always wanted to play we we talked about it afterwards i brought it up but one of the games that i've wanted to play for like the longest time is called artemis uh like space bridge simulator where uh, you know you and six you and five friends uh get together and you each kind of have a different role on like the bridge of a ship Kind of thing, and that's what Sea of Thieves looks like to me, and I think that is awesome yeah. and super cool if they deliver, which I am very skeptical of because, spoiler alert, there have been other pirate RPGs that have tried the same thing and miraculously failed. Also, Rare hasn't been great for a while. Um, also, that have have you ever have you heard of the Diffused Bomb game? Uh, oh, is that the one where you're sitting in the thing and you, one, you are... You, one guy defuses the bomb and everybody else has the manual and tells you how to defuse it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally know that game. I haven't played it, but I've seen it and I actually really like it. Yeah, I... I From, like, a pure design standpoint. I think it's super cool. I think that's another kind of game in this space where, like, everybody's kind of... Like, it, it's 
what would you call it? like very asymmetrical multiplayer i think it'd be i think it'd be a, a, a lot of fun yeah um, but i think that's about all we have time for unless you wanted to give a shout out to anything buddy Nah, you know, whatever. I'm sure we'll we'll uh, hit the rest of this uh, on the backside of um, uh, next next week's cast once kind of everybody has has done their thing. Yeah, well, uh, if you want to tell us what your favorite part of E3 was, or what new Overwatch hero you want to design, or uh, what you think needs to be nerfed in Overwatch, you can email us at some derpsplaygames at gmail dot com. You can follow us and watch us play. Uh, tabletop games at twitch.tv slash some derps play games you can follow us on youtube and on twitter and on facebook and i'll have links to all of that you can comment you can like you can subscribe and all those good things and we will appreciate it and we will smile and give you hugs um and i think that's about it do you have anything else you wanted to plug buddy nope i am super solid and uh good to go all right until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners